Hey guys, and welcome to today's podcast. Of course, I'm Ian Bickle. This is the Rewired Eating Podcast. I'm putting this little message at the beginning of the podcast as just a trigger warning. We are talking about eating disorders and anorexia nervosa in particular. Um, if you are struggling, please do seek out professional help. Thank you very much. Enjoy the podcast. It's an amazing one, and I'll catch you at the end. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rewired Eating Podcast. Um, I'm really excited today to meet um, and have on as a guest, Claire Irvin. Now, we have already met. This isn't the first time I'm meeting. Um, we had an interesting conversation um, just a few days ago about Claire's background, and I thought, you know what, we need to get this on podcast. We need to record this. We need to look at your story, celebrate it, and hopefully be a beacon of hope for other people. So Claire, first and foremost, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Claire is an NLP practitioner, something that I've done. I've went through my NLP as well and a nutrition advisor. Um, I want to... I guess start with your story if that's okay Claire is like kind of how did you get to where you are right now and let's dig a little bit into kind of your background with all of this because you've had such a, an amazingly turbulent past with all of this and I think it's going to be so intriguing for people to to hear your story. Mm-hmm. Well I um I left home at 12 and went to a ballet school and I lived in there and as you can imagine uh, a a young girl turning into a woman in leotard and tights uh, my industry that I then went into from there uh, was dancing I went went to a school in London uh, called Italia Conti and continued my training in performing arts and musical theatre um I became very aware of my body around uh the other girls and there was obviously a comparison so that was that environment for me was probably the start of things kind of brewing you are you are obviously aware and you're in front of mirrors all day um But then I went on to model and dance and I had a fantastic career. I went all around the world. I did get told by modeling agencies that I needed to lose weight, but I was very militant and very adamant and a very strong young woman who loved her life. And I wasn't prepared to sacrifice my life for my job. So um, I used to get scouted by agencies while I was walking around London. Then they'd call me into the office and they would measure me. And I was always two inches bigger around my waist and around my hips and what they wanted me to be. And I would just be like, right, no, that's fine. I'll just keep working, uh, doing the work that I was doing, dancing and modelling. And eventually I got signed by an agency in London who said exactly the same thing, that I needed to lose the four inches however they took me on anyway and um and I signed with them they they said it would benefit me to lose the weight but they wanted to have me and I ended up working more than any of the other girls on the agency I was earning the most money um I think because I was different and I had my own identity 
in a way by being a bit different and I had my dancing and my acting I was you know I could, could bring all them talents as if you were to put it as that word uh into a shoe and and I had a really successful career and in the end my agent was telling the smaller girls that they were barking up the wrong tree and actually uh look at Claire she's she's a healthy size and and she's working so um I went to South Africa on loan to an agency and when I went to South Africa I went on a diet, I had a relationship breakdown and I had a health scare and I had other issues uh, in my life that I didn't deal with, past trauma from my childhood and um, a lack of support, uh, If it, probably the best way to put it, a lack of support. And I, I felt like my work was the only thing that I really had. It, it, I put all my value of myself into my work. So when I went to South Africa, I went on a diet. I started going to the gym. I recognized the calories on the cross trainer. So I knew that as I was working out on the cross trainer, um, I'd never thought about calories before. I'd never um, dieted. I'd, I'd always eaten intuitively. I'd, I'd always loved chocolate and, and I loved going out and, and I was just like a social butterfly. And um, I saw the calories on the cross trainer and straight away something clicked and I was like, oh, that's a galaxy bar. And then I kept going and I kept going. So I ended up doing an hour on a, on a cross trainer purely for the amount of calories that I was burning. So that was the start of my exercise addiction. And I can pinpoint that that's exactly when that started because I wasn't exercising for me and for my body. I was exercising to purge calories. So that went on along with my diet that I went on. I was now in South Africa um, I lost two stone in two months in South Africa. When I'd lost the weight, um, the two stone, my agency called me in and she said, I've got an agency in Berlin that really want to sign you. And I've got an agency in China that really want to sign you. It was never an option for me before to work in China or to work in Berlin because I didn't fit the clothes. I was um I was too big. They needed the 26, 36 uh, measurements. And and this I was thought this is it. I've done it. Uh, I've I've done all the commercial work that I could possibly want to do and now I'm going to go into editorial and I'm going to go to China and I'm going to fly all around the world and you know do, fit fill all of my uh, dreams that I wanted to do. Uh, but at that point I wouldn't even eat carrots. Um I'd gone vegan, completely vegan, and I also didn't eat, um, I ate foods that took you more calories to digest than what was in them. So dark green vegetables, um, I wouldn't eat carrots, I wouldn't eat butternut squash, um, I wouldn't eat raisins or dried fruit or anything like that, banana, I wouldn't even touch a banana. And I went home, um my friends got a shock when they saw me I then started fasting um because I'd run out of things that you know the addiction took over I'd run out of things to cut out I didn't have any more food to cut out because I'd done it all so 
the next uh, thing that I started doing was I would fast for three days at a time and drink sugar-free Red Bull and I would still go to the gym for three hours. I was doing three back-to-back -back sessions, either classes or cardio or a mix of both. Um, and then I used to have to send weekly pictures of me in my underwear to this agency in China and they okayed me. So my natural weight is between 11 and 12 stone. I'm six foot tall. Um, I don't weigh myself at all now, so I couldn't honestly tell you what I weigh, but I know that that is my body's happy place. When the agency in China said, yes, I was nine stone four and I panicked because I didn't know how to continue because I was having panic attacks. I didn't know how to eat anymore. I only knew how to starve myself and I only knew how to diet. I only knew how to lose weight. I was losing weight at, at such a fast pace. Um, I lost friends because they were so upset with what I was doing to myself. But nothing at this point could come between me and what I was doing. So I was due to fly to Berlin. I went to Gatwick Airport and I woke up in a hospital. Um, well, I woke up on the floor uh, with my head on a person from security's lap. And the first thing that came out of my mouth, because they were giving me a, a, a drink of full fat Coke. And the first thing that I said was, is that diet? And I'd collapsed and just woke up. So I went to hospital and my potassium, my sodium, all my electrolytes were so low, like they put me on a drip for everything and they just let, let me out. And I went again the next week, it's how headstrong I am. <laughs> I, I flew to Germany the next week and um, I had a bit of a mental breakdown while I was there because my mind, your brain when it's starved of calories, you know, it's starved of food. Eventually what happens is your body can go so long, but you're actually starving your brain and you start to lose your mind completely. Like I was hallucinating. My mind was making me walk around Berlin and, and I would walk past bakeries and walk in and actually buy the food knowing I was going to put it in the bin. It was like a test, like a game. Um... And then I would I would just go and put it in the bin. You can't have that. You're not allowed that. You're never going to eat again. They're all the things my head was telling me. You don't deserve this. Look at those. I would walk around Berlin by myself um, in between castings and, and look at people. And my head was telling me, you do not deserve that. You are never going to be like them. I've got you. That This is it. And I can just describe it as the worst best friend that you, because you you haven't got any um, capacity to be a friend to anybody else because this illness has totally taken over your mind. It becomes your friend, your friend in a really really horrible way. Um, so I, I actually rang my friend because um, I was panicking really bad um, about my mind. And she said, we need to get you home. So she got me home and she had found a rehab. Um, firstly, she took me to my GP and my GP cried and gave me a, a load of build-up shakes. And he actually said, the waiting list is too long. 
um, you're not thin enough. My BMI was 15, it needed to be 13 for me to get treatment as an adult, um, as an emergency. But he said, with what you're doing with your exercise, your heart is, um, you know, it's 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 very dangerous, basically, at the point that I was at. So my friend dragged me off um, to a rehab. I had some money from modelling that I'd saved, and um, it was £5,000 a week. I didn't want to go. I wouldn't go to an anorexic rehab even though my pelvis stuck out my back. I had to put towels down in the bath to have a bath. I went to bed wearing three layers of clothes and had nightmares that I'd eaten and woke up and in a panic and stripped myself off. And I had three sets of weighing scales in my bathroom. And only when them scales all said the same, I would know that I hadn't had a dream and uh, that I had had a dream, sorry, and that I hadn't eaten. And then I could get dressed and go back to sleep again. So I didn't even get sleep. Like my sleep was tormenting me, telling me that I'd eaten. Um, so I went to the rehab and Robin wanted me in. He didn't want me to go home. Um, he was worried that something would happen to me if I went home to make a decision. I did go home and then I went into the rehab and I just could, I couldn't do it. Like that they put food on my plate and I just refused point blank to eat. Um, they had to get a lady down from London, um, from their London clinic to come and sit with me. And it would, took me about two hours to drink uh, a small bottle of build up shake. And then I had something called refeeding syndrome. Um, I went blue, all my veins used to come out every time I ate something during my recovery when I did start to get well. All my veins would come out all over my back, my tummy, all my arms. It was like tree root branches. I would, I would have night sweats. And that's what I want to talk more openly about as well, is that actually when you start refeeding, you, I would wake up and all my pyjamas were soaked in sweat because my body was so not used to having food in it. I was hairy, I had uh, like peach fuzz all, all down my chest, my back was hairy. Um, and then I moved, I really liked Claire who, who came and sat with me with that shake and I liked her because she sat with me. She wasn't telling me. I had a connection with her. She cared, like I felt like she cared about me and I wasn't just this, um, sick girl you know and um so I moved to her she ran a rehab in London and um and she actually said to me because I wouldn't eat anything she said what are you prepared to try I've never done this before but you can stand with the chef and you, you can watch him cook your food because you're going to die sorry and um and I said I'll have cod boiled in water with green beans but I said it's got to be with cutlery that I've seen him wash and and I need to put it on my place um so that it's not contaminated with butter or anything and it took me ages to eat it and then it was Claire I discharged myself four times because I couldn't do it. 
And it was Claire that sent me as a last-ditch attempt to the man who saved my life, um, a hypnotherapist. And I went to body talks therapy. And one hypnotherapy session um, where he took me back to before my illness because I can remember mess when I was really ill messaging my friends and saying what did I eat what did I do tell me like I can't remember I can't remember what it what life was like before I, I had started doing this and and that's exactly what Max did he took me back so I could then connect my dots of who I was and um and I, I absolutely loved it. And I walked out and I couldn't buy food and eat it. And I went into Starbucks and I, when I was modeling, I, I used to walk around London with my little backpack with my book. And, and I used to always get a skinny latte and a skinny ginger muffin. And I walked into Starbucks and I bought a skinny ginger muffin and, and I had my first bite. And I sent him a message and I said, I've, I've just gone and bought food, Max, and eaten it. And he was like, it's just the start, Claire. So I went to them every week, the two of them, for oh, months and months and months. And then I can remember I lived with John on a farm and and I when I was recovering. And I really wanted a, um, it's going to sound so daft, I really wanted a cinnamon raisin bagel. Like, I so wanted a toasty bagel I'd not felt like proper toast in my belly and I rang uh Claire um the lady from the rehab rang me and I said I really want a bagel Claire but I've made it four times and buttered it and given it to John and and I, I'm feeding him and I it's me that really wants it and she went get off the phone right now go downstairs don't think about it eat it and then ring me back and I made it and I ate it, it was in my tummy. And then I went outside and I rang her and I said, it feels so nice, Claire. And she said to me, she said, that's you looking after your body, Claire. Like, that's you. You are choosing to look after you. So that was the start of my recovery. And it took a long time to get to that point. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, like, obviously, you know, there's it's obvious why it's so emotional speaking about it again and I think sharing that story you know yes this is an absolute like extreme circumstance but you and I see it all of the time that there may not be that level of restriction and restraint but it's certainly on the spectrum and it's mm -hmm. certainly taking years off people's lives um and not just years off their lives, but like time that they'll just, they'll never get back, you know, and all the opportunities that they've missed, maybe professionally, um, personally, um, also financially, like the impact that's had. You you told me what you said it was £5,000 a week, a week, like how much did this entire recovery cost you? I think about 45,000, roughly. And time-wise, um, seven years to recover, two years ill. Um, I honestly just feel like it does not need to be that long. Like, I had to do so much of it myself. I bought so many books. I, 
once they'd set the ball rolling with the hypnotherapy and the body talks therapy, as I went every week, that's what I, I was saying to you when, when we were talking earlier about the scales. So my anorexic voice was so loud, I couldn't remember what my voice was like. And every week they tapped into my old voice. So that started going like that and I started fighting against it. And don't get me wrong, it was really hard. Um, would I go through it again in a heartbeat? And And if I knew exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, or roughly, you know, the stages of recovery. And someone had just sat me down and said, you can get to there, but to get to there, you've got to be prepared to put yourself through this, 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 and this. Are we going to do it? We're, we're going to do it. I'm going to do it with you. You're not by yourself. I did it all by myself. And honestly, the reason why I get emotional about it is because the thought of anyone else going through that is is rough like I, I it's it's hard on me because I, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy mm. and if if you knew what you knew now what would have been your kind of first steps into recovery that and how much time do you think and and emotional energy do you think that would have saved you no so much I, I you also because my recovery took so long afterwards I almost had like a grieving uh thing to go through for all my years that you know I look back on times with uh I went on holiday and 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 I, I went to beautiful places and and it was all controlled by my eating disorder you know my whole life was and I think you know when I helped a young girl she the part of recovery that took me the longest was the shortest part for her because of how I helped her with it. Um, and I think like that, when I said about that connection that I had with Claire from the rehab, she sat with me and she treated me like, like a person and, and got to know me and, and what I was about and what I enjoyed and, and asked about my past and, and what what did I want from from my life, and that I could have that back again? And and you need that connection with somebody. Um. But yeah, like so many memories that I have that I look back on, even towards the end of my recovery. There's times when I think, God, I wish I could go back and and have that moment now because I would really enjoy it. And. Mm you can't enjoy it when you're obsessed over something and it doesn't have to be to the extreme that I was at it's you know where your life is controlled um around what you're eating and exercise and and macros and uh no carbs and whatever else um it's all kind of the same yeah and I suppose like you know obviously you mentioned there was circumstances that were surrounding the development because it sounded like you had like strong standards and a, an identity around like who you were and um the body that you had but i suppose you know hearing it once or twice but then hearing it every single time that such and such wants you in a smaller body and you need to lose x amount of weight where you're actually a perfectly healthy happy weight 
um, and have all of the things that goes with that, the ability to be social, the ability to eat intuitively, to trust your body signals, um, to have confidence and trust in food. Um, and then the eventuality is you find yourself, you know, like unconsciously all of these messages are going in and then you notice calories one day. And I think this is the dangers, especially with tracking calories and, and macronutrients and getting fixated on the energy balance equation is where that can inevitably take people and what it can do to them on a on a behavioral level. Um, when it comes to like the culture as a whole of like the fashion industry and dance industry, is this something that you feel these days they're a little bit more sensitive towards or, or is or does it depend? Like what what are your thoughts as as far as I that's think concerned? It's got to a point where it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Because as social media is risen, the pressure on kids now is absolutely immense. And I see that my daughter dances. Um, she's eight years old and I see it. And I, I see it uh from parents, I see it from children to children my daughter's been called fat at, at eight by another child um and i obviously um i'm very hot on all of that um do i think it's changed i think there's more um scope for different sizes more more acceptance i do think there's a balance at one end and a balance at the other and not in the middle um if you get what i mean like they're yeah. still using very very thin models that like that's still going on it's just um and it's it's likewise we've we've done i think it's always going to be there i think we just have um we're more openly talking on social media about uh being diverse when it comes to size and everything but when you uh, come down to it, it's I feel it's exactly the same, if not with the added pressure of social media now. So I, I yeah, I, I wouldn't be uh, pushing my daughter into the modeling world. I'm gonna put it that way. Yeah, I think that that says it all really right there is like, would you want your child? to be within it and if the answer is no hopefully people can you know uh take that as it is. i think you know i think with our children you know i teach my daughter about food in a in an intuitive manner I, you know i don't make her finish her food i'll encourage her to eat her vegetables obviously um but she I try and get her to eat when she's hungry and stop when she's full and there isn't any banned foods there isn't any anything but I do teach her about what's going to make her strong that fish is good for you know make her hair nice that I try yeah. and teach her in that way other than uh and I also teach her um about different body types and that we're all built differently and that that's fine and, and I teach her about hers and I'm like you're athletic and that that's your build you know and I think if you can build them up to be strong and and confident in themselves and and have a high value um 
hopefully that whatever route that they go down um it doesn't affect them you you mentioned like social media like was that as prevalent back then for you as it was today and if you had to go through what you went through now with the the instagrams and you know that additional stuff do you think that would have hurt you more um and challenged you more because obviously there's people right now going through a lot of struggles in relation to diet because you have strong influences with large followings with blue ticks um, and have this authority but they don't necessarily know the potential impacts that they are having on yeah they might get a, they might get celebrated and dozens of likes but typically the person who's struggling is sat there wondering why I can't do it you know what what is wrong with me there's a deep sense of shame isolation embarrassment do you think if you grew up in or went through that in today's culture that would have been harder or do you think because there is like if you are looking for it there is more appropriate accounts out there would you have even tried to find those accounts that would have been, may have been helpful to you um i um when i was going through recovery one of my tips that i give to anybody going through recovery is to not follow anybody who's going through an eating disorder or is a fitness uh, um promoter or um nutrition or anything like that just absolutely do not follow like i un i in fact i deleted mine uh and it was the the only way because i was connecting and getting triggered all the time mm. um especially people that were um going through recovery and that's what i feel about um some treatments for eating disorders because if you are around people that are recovering this is going to sound um awful to be honest but you end up in competition with them you, you end up in competition they're eating that so then your head is like oh i shouldn't have eaten that so if you've done better than them health-wise for your recovery your eating disorder is going to hate that that they haven't eaten and you have eaten so it's it's like a game and i just think like when i was in rehab and they put a big food plate uh plate of food in front of me and i was sat with everybody even though they were eating it all and i wasn't eating any of it i did not want anyone to see me eat. so i would not have even tried mm. so regards to social media I, my advice is to either completely get off it until you're at a point where you can handle it even now i, I don't for, i don't follow anybody who does uh transformational programs who is about um aesthetics i don't post anything aesthetic it's not what i'm about it's not what i value myself on um it, it's um you know, and, and sometimes when I press the search and I scroll through and I see all these women that that are just like, oh, look at me, I eat this in a day and you eat this and, and you can be like me. Like, 
I'm not going to be like you because I'm I'm not you. I'm me. And yeah. that person could have an eating disorder. That person could have anxiety around food. That person could be obsessed with exercise. That person could be missing out on so many memories and, and family events and whatever else because they're not present because they're taking over of their obsession. But they're getting all these likes on social media, so it's fueling it even more. So yeah. um, it, it can be... A, a hugely problematic especially if somebody's built their identity as this this fitness person and they've got to almost keep up with that identity and as you well said is like you don't know if this person has issues around food and i know fine well like so many people in the fitness industry and diet industry just have terrible relationships with food and it's almost like this confirmation bias because they of course they they get a following they get people who are facilitating the the disorder and it's really hard because like they've created such a strong like brand and identity around maybe their physical appearance that they get lost in that aesthetic side of it and they lose themselves and it certainly sounds like that's what happened to yourself and reconnecting like with who you are. And I'm the exact same as like, listen, I don't do before and after pictures. I don't do, I discourage use of scales. I discourage these things and try and move people as far away from like the diet, what I call a dieting mentality as possible. So they are eating more intuitively, um, mindfully, consciously, and they're all kind of tied to, their values and what they really want from their life. I can't guarantee what's going to happen with their body because as you said, everybody is different. You naturally sit in this place. I naturally sit where I sit with what I consider no effort. You know, I exercise, I, I eat nourishing food because it makes me feel fantastic and I enjoy it. And I also indulge, um, you know, have cake, I have chocolate, I have pizza, I go out for food, you know, I have a glass of wine, there's nothing off limits. And when you, I guess, have that level of um, peace, especially I'd imagine for yourself, like you're in this place of complete peace and levity around food. So many people that I've worked with, they've had such problematic behaviors around food, and they've been struggling with binge eating, emotionally and compulsive eating, excessive attempts of control and restriction. Um, sometimes that's like a necessary thing to have happened. We, you know, and they look back and they go, you know what, that was really horrible and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but it's actually giving me this new sense of purpose. And now you're coming into this, like you've come into the world of NLP and advising people on nutrition it it is this helped you with your cause do you think like because you've experienced it firsthand oh 100 because through my recovery obviously you go from like you know the very worst where i was uh dangerously unwell and then i went through bulimia i went through a very long period um because the stats on recovery from anorexia is only 46% get fully well. And, and there's a huge percentage that end up where 
I was in the trap there where you um, have orthorexia, where you just clean eat and you're obsessed yeah. with it. You know, I bet it's my own bread and I did this and I did that and and took a picture of every single piece of food that I ever cooked and I knew what I was having for breakfast, lunch and dinner every day and I knew what my snacks were. And if I went over that, I was out walking for two hours afterwards. And, you know, it's... it's um. It's it's helped me no end because I have done I've done it all and and now when I wake up in the morning I do not know and I don't want to know and I'm not bothered either what I'm having for my breakfast I go off what I feel like I get signals from my body you know if I haven't eaten enough fruit and vegetables my body will tell me and I'll be like right I just need I need some fruit and I'll end up having like a big bowl of fruit with yogurt and muesli on the top but. You know, I had a bit, I woke, woke up the other morning last week and I really, really, really wanted a bacon and egg sandwich. It was all that yeah. I wanted. And I had it and and I don't think about it, but because of, that's what I really wanted, the bowl of fruit and the bacon and egg sandwich gave me the same amount of pleasure because that's what I wanted at the time. I hadn't like, the trouble is when you, when you, whatever you're cutting out of your diet, you are going to become obsessed with it. To the point where when you have it, you are more than likely going to eat a ridiculous amount of it or lose control around that food. So I have, you know, there was, it took me a long time to be able to eat pizza. And I love, I really enjoy pizza when I, when I have it. I, I do like, I like to look after myself and I like to eat well. And I like knowing that my body's getting everything that it needs, especially as I'm, you know, almost entering uh well I'm I suppose you would put me as middle age now but as I'm getting older you know I want I want to be able to run around after my little girl and I want to travel with her and, and it's important that you do look after yourself but I can have a pizza and I can have a glass of wine and and if I have a I used to go through this really horrible thing where when I had a drink I would then come home and binge eat because I'd lost my mind was relaxed, you know, from having a drink. Yeah. So that control was kind of gone. But then it, the anxiety and everything the day after, it's like, oh, right, okay, so now I've done that, I've got to not eat. I've got to be a 1,000 calories down every day, and that'll make up for last weekend, so then I can carry on. Like, to not have that and have that freedom, and, you know, but, um, around my friends and stuff, when we go out for lunch, they're like, oh, I'm not having any bread. And I'll just be like sat having some bread, but I'm not eating like a ton of it. I'm eating what I want and stopping. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I feel I feel like I couldn't have done what I'm doing now three years ago. I wasn't in the right place. Now I I'm fully know that I can offer people a lot, and it will not jeopardize me in any way. Um. You know, because that's the other the other thing. You have to be fully recovered before you can help other people. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, you're jeopardizing your recovery. You know, something could trigger trigger you off. I, I think I totally agree with that, and I think you know, there's so many people out there that are almost like sharing their disorder, like around fitness, around nutrition, around tracking macros and calories, around like, um, obviously the. I have somewhat of a bodybuilding background and lived in that world for a little while. And I can totally see that, you know, the fueling one another because like you get lost in the culture, 
the the culture the fashion industry the the dancing the whether it's the bodybuilding the crossfit the vegan the vegetarian the paleo the flat earth society you know all of these genuinely believe that what they are doing is like the thing but these are all just these are all just things and what gets lost is like the unconscious mind and and who you are as an individual because the culture is a safe place because you're surrounded by the tribe and as humans that's how we've survived for as long as we can remember and it but when you're in a culture that you may be no longer aligned with and you struggle to like almost it it can feel really challenging changing like I call myself a behavior change coach because it's like change is so challenging because you get so used to the safety and security of what you're doing that the unknown becomes scary and uncertain. And I can imagine that's what was like really scary about um, recovery for you is like the fear of like the what ifs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, With it's kind of like, I describe it as smashing a mirror on the floor and and you are that mirror and you've got to piece all these pieces of you back together. But you can't do it all in one go. You have to piece them back one piece after the other. So you're just building yourself back up. But I actually feel like I'm just a better version of what I was before I got sick. So I... I, I'm gut I'm not gonna lie, I look back on my life and I am gutted. It was my twenties and it was my mid to late twenties into my very early thirties and you think, gosh, that was that was uh, you know, it, it could have been an amazing time, but would I be doing what I'm doing now? No. And do I feel uh I feel really balanced, really connected with myself? Um, I feel proud that I, I did that, that I did because I the books that I read, the amount of effort that I put into it, that I never, ever, ever gave up. I can remember going to my GP. I was on antidepressants. Um, I didn't want to go on them, but I was really struggling uh, with just getting through this this one part. Just went on a low dose and I wanted to come off them. Um because I am very headstrong and, and I know I knew that I didn't need them. They're only, um, I'm not opposed to them, but for me, it was a personal thing again. And I went to my GP and he said, do you not think you're just predisposed to have an eating disorder? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm not. I, I've had one and I'm recovering, but I don't need these anymore. I want to do the rest of it myself. And he just gave me a prescription for a load of pills and said, just cut them down. Do what you want with them. If you think you don't need them. And I was like, what? Like, I'm I'm asking you for help, like to help me come off these. But he wanted to keep me on them. It, it's just, it's madness. And I, I just think how I am now as a mother, as a person, I maybe I wouldn't be like how I am had I have not gone through that and how I can now help other people. Um, yeah, I think that's the thing is like you you need to be in this process like you mentioned with Claire who supported you like you put so much trust into this person 
and she allowed you to I guess blossom at the pace that was right for you and I think you know you're a coach um uh, an NLP practitioner and a nutritional advisor you know I'm in, in a similar field but like part of this process of like working one-to-one with someone it is connection it's like are you connected to that person you can't it's it's a feeling that you have and trusting your your gut and your emotions and taking those leaps of faith with somebody who you believe can genuinely help you is so important so like if somebody who is listening to this podcast may not fully want to work with me because I'm a male I, yes I primarily do work with females which gives females a different dynamic and a different option but if somebody wants to say work with someone like yourself and have those initial conversations and it is a two-way relationship like if I feel like I can't help someone maybe they're not in the right place I will be openly and honest and hopefully be able to refer them on or give them some sort of advice that is where they need to go for you when it comes to like the integration of like the NLP and the nutrition where do you think like the magic is as far as that's concerned well honestly I think it's incredible because um the client uh that I've been working with her face after one session at just out of me going through the hunger scale with her going on about um I looked through I did 24 hour recall with her and um I did some NLP work with her about her emotions behind why she'd eaten certain things or how she was feeling in herself what did she want because she was a mum and everything is about her children and as it should be but she wasn't making any time for herself she felt guilty so hence the nlp i'm like why are you feeling guilty for that how do you want to feel what what do you want for you your life to look like what do you want to feel like because she was just that i just don't feel like me anymore i'm not looking after myself i'm not making any time for me and you know i'm not i said to her the key thing that she did say was she said, I need two stone off. And I said, why do you need two stone off? And she said, I just know I need two stone off. I said, well, let's just get the two stone and just throw it away. I said, throw it away because that's a number. I said, let's concentrate on the now and and let's go through and let's just make, we're just changing habits. That's that's all we're doing. And the, the body will sort itself out but we need to get the mind and the body working together at the same time. And I just think it's about um, educating people about food, for one thing. That's where the nutrition comes in because, you know, a lot of people see food as processed uh, food that we buy in the supermarket. And a lot of people don't know how to cook simple meals and that, you know, I can whip up a meal in five, ten minutes of work Um you know, that's really nutritious for you, that's a lot healthier for you. Um, it's just educating people to then connect with the mind so they can make the right choices for them mm. and for their goals and to just get them feeling good um, in themselves. And I think when you feel good in yourself, you want to look after yourself more. Yeah. 
and, and you know nlp neurolinguistic programming so it's you know neuro the brain linguistic language and, and programming you know this is called the rewired eating podcast for a reason you know like we are helping and this for me i recognize is very much as a process so maybe your world and this is what i love nlp is like i'll operate in a client's world all right so it's not about me i know a, sh- a shed ton we haven't swore so i don't have to put an explicit on this unless we do we go off on one in the final 10 minutes or so effing and jeffing but um yeah so like you operate like i know a lot about nutrition and i probably forgot more than i remember now because like i start to realize wow this nutrition's really simple we don't need to confuse and conflict people we don't need to worry about like the the going down stupid rabbit holes and looking at krebs cycles and so on and so forth if you're a nutrition geek and that's what you geek out on fair enough but when we're actually just working with people especially people with emotions we're not working with robots um so using bits of like nlp and finding and exploring that person's world and digging into their whys and and finding out about their values and what they care about most um you know you're a mother i'm a dad of two so like being a a role model for my children i would be so sad and upset if my daughter ever came to me and started some form of of dieting and it's so common that the women that i'm working with they were taken to a slimming group in their like kind of before they were even double digits age-wise and not necessarily to partake in it but they were introduced into that culture and their world started now and then obviously it's the the reticular activating system in our brain you buy that car all of a sudden you see that car on the road that car was always there you become aware of calories you start seeing calories everywhere and then your brain starts going further and further and further and that's something that happened to me i got so lost in the intricacies of nutrition it was like borderline as you said orthorexic which is the obsession with how healthy your diet is steps like obsessing and having a preoccupation with the steps or the calories or the the cleanliness it's not healthy and it's taking you away from just being in the moment moving your body because you love it like i love going out with a dog i love training with weights i love doing these things i love eating the food that i do you know so for me with the people that i work with it's about making their diets theirs and the ability for them to have what i think are the two most important things um it's like choice and autonomy put that together and like just that feeling of freedom so like you mentioned earlier just being fairly neutral about food is like you know what i fancy that there's no negativity or shame attached i haven't let myself down i haven't broken any cardinal rules that i've put and placed upon myself i'm liberated and free and i'll say to my clients the best feedback you can get from people is i thought you were being healthy you know when they are because it's hard living in diet culture you're a nutritional advisor people see you having a pint or eating a burger 
be I thought you were meant to be healthy. And this explains what people's worlds are like. I've tried to remove myself from bodybuilding because you hear the word bodybuilding. What does your brain automatically go to? Some clean eating, roided up Arnold Schwarzenegger type. And it's like when people may hear the word model and they may just, and they totally dismiss you as an individual and a person and the qualities that you have. And I'm like to people, you are so much more than just a physical entity. Who are you? What do you love? What makes you happy? What did you do as a child that passed the time so freely? What are you? What would you like to do in the future with your life? And all of a sudden, it just becomes less and less and less and eventually not even about food. Yeah. And I think when you know you're fully recovered, um, which a lot of my clients from their, I would say, disordered eating, not necessarily eating disorder. And probably at the beginning, I will have recorded a mini like, hey, seek medical and professional help. And there's going to be lots of triggers in this conversation. Um, But you can, like, do this. Mm -hmm. And this is why I want to declare on here is to show people, hey, like, this is something that can steal away so many years of your life, but it's not stealing another second. And you got to that decision point where and you tried to try and it was such a an a huge like journey for you and a challenging one so i i just want to like obviously save great and i've honestly i've i've loved our conversation today and i'm just wary of time mm-hmm. what would like if you had just any advice to your like previous self if you could go back and talk to that claire who was who developed that kind of disorder, if you'd like, what would you, what would you say to her there? While she was poorly, while she was sick, just that you're worth more, that you deserve to get well and you deserve to beat this and and have the life that that you had um I don't generally like I never used to through my recovery I never liked the word deserve because I I felt like I didn't deserve anything and I used to hate that word deserve people keep saying deserve no one deserves anything you know people don't deserve to have something bad happen as much as you know someone you, you shouldn't deserve things now I actually choice and deserve are two words that resonate with me so much because to have that freedom of choice in your life, to not to have that strength to not compare yourself to anyone else, to just want to be the best version of you and your values and and to believe in them and not be affected by other people preaching theirs. Um, you know, and and everyone deserves to be happy, whatever their happy is. Like, and everyone's happy is different. And so deserve and choice uh, are my two big words I use a lot. So not only maybe that message being for your younger self, but also to, like, the general audience who are listening right now is, like, you know, what you deserve. And you are so much more. Yeah. 
beautiful. Um, Claire's anything that I haven't went through today? Is there anything that you'd like to, that we've missed? Anything that you'd like to share? Not really. I mean, to be honest, that the, the recovery uh, aspect of eating disorders is something I'm going to tap into and at different times on stages of the recovery to help people. I want to do a lot of public speaking about it and get it out into the open, what it is actually truly like. Um, just uh, I take everybody on an individual basis and I have no plans whenever I get have a client I don't I don't pre-plan anything I work off uh, people as an individual similar to you do and um, and just want to help people that's all yeah just just meet them where they're at and I think that's it's it's so easy that they're not going to get just thrown into another whatever whether it's a meal plan or system mm-hmm. whether it's you know sins points macros calories so on and so forth these things are just all unfortunately often variations of the same thing and it's never really digging to the depth that it needs to because you're still so focused on external stuff rather than internal stuff and this is an an inside out job in many ways but because you're working on an individual's nutrition and nourishing them and um getting their body back to a place of functionality and reducing scarcity around food and fear and so on and so forth whilst also doing the inner work they just complement one another amazingly um because i know some people they will go through therapy but there'll just be no nutritional intervention either Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe vice versa exclusively focused on nutrition but there's no kind of additional mindset work when it comes to maybe people who are interested in following you um, learning from you um, and having a bit access to your stuff if you've got anything that uh, people can follow or go to's or anything like that Claire so I've got a website it's um, Claire Irving Claire spelt without an I C-L-A-R-E Irving I-R-V-I-N-G N-L-P dot co dot U-K and on there I actually have written my own ebook that you can download for free on ways that NLP can help uh, in all different aspects of your life and I also have a Facebook page Claire Irving NLP practitioner I will throw all of those in to the show notes so people can go but Claire honestly um, I'm really grateful of you sharing your story and I'm honestly I'm I'm excited to see the work that you do um and if i can support you in any way just please do feel free to reach out so no absolutely amazing and i just want to thank you once again oh thank you that's been brilliant i just want to say a huge massive thank you to claire for coming on the show and sharing her wisdom um, and helping ultimately people with their relationship with food please like please subscribe please share i have put some stuff in the show notes where you can reach out to me also i have a free diet scorecard if you would like to improve your relationship with food and your body feel free to reach out thank you so much and catch you next time